This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kaya Lifty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Steve Gagne. How's it going, dude? What's up? Not much. So you're in Pensacola, Florida at the moment. Yes, yes I am. Dealing with the heat. It is it is hot right now and it is humid. And prior to this call I was working in the yard. I was I was telling you earlier I was using a power washer and I mm-hmm. don't know where the water from the power washer starts and the sweat ends. Like I just sort of all blended or vice versa, however that goes. But yeah, it's just yeah. dripping, dripping sweat. Yeah. <laughs> So we've known each other, I want to say 2008 is when you moved to to Detroit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's crazy. 13 13 years? Yeah. We've had a text thread going almost as long. Probably (laughs) maybe 10 years now, about a 10-year-old text thread. Yeah, I would agree with that. With our friend Chris talking about all things uh, football or – Soccer, as Americans may call it. Yep. It's, uh, it's basically, it's three things. It's football, coffee, and you two. Yeah. I would say it's the, it's the, the holy trinity. <laughs> it's mostly football, though. Yeah. Yes, yes. It is mostly football. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, even since I met you, you know, we have a mutual love for the Red Sox. Yes. Our, our favorite baseball team. And then uh, we also have... A mutual love for our, our favorite football team in Liverpool. Yes. Yes. And, uh, that's yeah. Quite a bit. That's like man, that's a yeah, I guess when you when you break it down, we do have a, a, a lot in common of mm-hmm. like of like a true like passion for things. Yeah. Uh, like our hot our hobbies are very in line. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Awesome. So you grew up in Rhode Island in a little town called Burrowville. Yeah. Did I pronounce well, that right? That, yeah, you said it right. Nice. What was it like to grow up there? It was rural. I could ice skate before I could ride a bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the pond hockey. Pond hockey mm-hmm. was a was a big thing up there. It's wicked wicked important for everyone in the winter. So, uh, yeah, we, um, you know, the summer consisted of riding bikes to the small little public beach at the lake. It was a freshwater lake, uh, really close to our house and, um, or pedaling into the, to the convenience store to buy some candy, but just a lot of woods and limited friends <laughs> because of, um, population. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's um, a nice place to drive through. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'd ever live there again, but <laughs> nice. Yeah. Earlier in your childhood, you grew up in a family where music was really important. Even though there weren't any musicians, uh, everybody loves to sing. A lot of oldies going on. Talk about that experience growing up. Yeah, you know, being French Canadian part of life is is like the sing-songy element you know every family gathering uh, there was singing 
a classic one for us is Christmas Eve around my, my memories table, Meme Boulier. You know, we'd all gather at her house around the table, all my cousins and all my uncles. And my mom would bust out the Christmas songbooks. And, you know, most of the family had been at that point drinking quite a bit. And so we would proceed to sing for like an hour Christmas songs. And we didn't have any instruments, but we did for some of the songs. The accompanying track was Nat King Cole Christmas tape, cassette tape on a little boom box in the kitchen. But yeah, it's um, so singing and music was something that was common, but not to an extent of actually being musicians. Uh, I have one cousin who's very musically talented who actually went to Berkeley School of Music and mm-hmm. uh, worked as a music therapist. Apart from her, we all love music. We all, you know, when we get together, we sing and everyday things become instruments, uh, pots and pans or utensils yeah. on the glass kind of deal. But, you know, that's, I feel like I could have been a musician had had I been given the opportunity. But, hey, you know, here we are. There's a lot of early, early rock and roll influence from your family specifically the mid to late 50s rock and roll of like elvis talk about more about what that where those influences were coming from in your family yeah so i i grew up uh with my stepfather my parents married when i was i believe four and so um we you know have a blended family so i have I have three brothers, two stepbrothers, and a stepsister. And so we always had people at the house. And so the the musical influence came from a variety of people. Mm-hmm. My mom, obviously, you know, as when you're a child, you know, when you're six, seven, eight years old, you're with probably your mom the most, right? You know, uh, whether it's going to the grocery store or having to run errands or she takes you to get your hair cut. And uh, so time in the car with mom was probably most frequent of all my transportation time and so mom loved the oldies and so every time we got in the car she'd be cranking the oldies and then uh, Richard Simmons comes along and does his workout program sweating to the oldies and so mom decided to get together with some friends and have a VHS tape of um, some aerobic exercises with Richard Simmons and so you know we remember just watching and laughing and but so the, the oldies kind of were around a lot you know we had cassette tapes in fact i think it was um shell gas station put out a series of cassette tapes and they were like greatest hits like oldies greatest hits and they did um, songs of the 50s and songs of the 60s songs of the 70s and so you know we had some of those and we'd play them and you know we'd be listening to blueberry hill or yakety yak my dad he's not as musical you know there is music he listens to that he enjoys but it's not, he's not like a musical person, but he's, you know, the, the Nat King Cole and Johnny Mathis and even some Boz Skaggs bleeds into my, my oldest stepbrother, who was a diehard Who fan, the Who. And yeah. so growing up listening to, you know, Pinball Wizard and, you know, Who Are You and um, Not Get Fooled Again, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff. And Car Rides With Him. And then he had a little... Dodge Omni, a little hatchback. I think it was, we called it the toilet. And he would just, he didn't drive slow anywhere. He was like as fast as he could drive, cigarette in hand, 
the steering wheel was the guitar. And so he'd be playing these riffs on, on the air guitar steering wheel uh, while we're just blasting down the street. You got to do that with yeah. the wheel. Yep, absolutely. And so we, you know, we'd all, we'd join in and one of us would, would become the drummer. So we'd play the air nice. drums. And so, you know, it's, yeah. So those memories, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I can just, I can smell my stepbrother's cigarette smoke right now in that stuffy little toilet <laughs> toilet <laughs> blast in the who and so yeah so early on that was kind of the a lot of the musical influence but it was mostly oldies just because of mom you know being around and being with her a lot as a kid so so as you continue to grow up in elementary school you kind of go through this british alternative phase in your life and talk about how did you encounter that music? So, yeah, I mean, again, this is uh, later elementary years, just before at the, the summer between fourth and fifth grade, I had moved to Massachusetts. But prior to that, or just a couple of years before that, our family decided to become a host family for an exchange student program. And so the very first student we ever hosted, which through the years ended up being like six, I believe six or seven that we hosted. Wow. But the, the first one, his name was James Bray, and he was from Wales. and But he was big into like the late 80s kind of Euro pop alternative kind of music. Duran Duran, the Happy Mondays. He loved the Happy Mondays. And also U2. He was a U2 fan. And so he brought that into our house and so when an exchange student comes over they always are seniors in high school that's how they the program works and so my my middle brother dave he's the one that's probably had the most influence on me of any of my siblings he's four years older than i am so while james was in high school dave was in middle school Mm -hmm. so dave naturally begins to adopt this music that James is listening to because man, James was cool. You know, he was, he was handsome. He was smart. He was smooth. He was a good dresser. And so naturally, if you are all those things and as a result, you listen to that music, well, we need to listen to that music too. So it was more so my brother listening to it. I just happened to be, you know, there in the room. And so I didn't have a choice at that moment of what music to listen to. And so that's sort of how that early influence of going from like oldies and, you know, crooners to, you know, like this synth alternative, sort of like a second wave of the British invasion. Uh, And so that, that became kind of a foundation of where I started to, when I started to kind of journey on my own and to certainly listen to the music that I wanted to listen to, that was, that was kind of like the starting line for me. Uh, the Cure. Oh, I almost forgot oh. The Cure. Yeah, that, so The Cure was a big one. In fact, going from, you know, fourth grade into fifth grade, the song Friday I'm in Love was, Friday I'm in Love by The Cure was like my jam for like a, a whole calendar year. Wow. And, and I, there was something about it that just like, I loved that song. And <laughs> because that, that really, that was at that point, that was um, kind of a, a song that kind of defined what I was looking for, like kind of the, what I was starting to search for in music. Okay. That was sort of like, 
you know, central to that whole sound that I was mm-hmm. beginning to explore. Was there any like Depeche Mode in there? Or do you not, not remember? No, I mean, obviously, you know, back when MTV still showed music videos, you'd see some of like the Depeche Mode. As that was starting to kind of form for me, as I was starting to get into that area of music, I was also beginning to kind of listen to some more of like the, the contemporary pop stuff and yeah. starting to kind of get into the rap scene a little bit, like the gangster rap scene. And that was a big time for like party dance music, like CNC Music Factory, right? Yeah. And that that type of, if you pull up Jock Jams. Jock, yeah, exactly. Right? So like the Jock Jams album was, was like, all, uh, those were all songs being played on the radio at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, get get your beauty on the floor tonight. Make my day. You know that's like, <laughs> so anyway. So that that uh, and you get like crisscross, yeah, and Notorious B.I.G. But then also Seal covers Fly Like an Eagle, and the you know bat the new Batman comes out with Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, and Kiss from a Rose. Right. So you sort of like mm-hmm. you're in that this sort of this strange kind of time period of like dance music and british pop rock all kind of blending at least in my world that's kind of where i was existing you didn't mention rap or or grunge even mixing into that as well yeah 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 and so so now we're like you know we're going to fifth sixth into seventh grade right like I said, in fifth grade is when I started at a new school. We we moved from Rhode Island into Massachusetts. It sounds like a big journey, but it was only a 45 minute drive down, <laughs> down the street. But, you know, whole new school district, whole new neighborhood. And also at the same time, hormones are starting to kick in and uh, I got to like make all new friends. And so it was definitely a formative time in my life, uh, just in terms of trying to find like who am i and like what is my sound what do i listen to what is it that i'm into like i was just really searching i'm mm-hmm. almost like I, I just as i'm saying that i'm picturing like octopus tentacles you know and they're just sort of grabbing onto things big papa notorious big and you get dr dre and coolio you know gangster's paradise yeah and tupac goes missing and then Kurt Cobain is found dead. So Nirvana, you know, smells like teen spirit. As I'm saying this to you, what I'm realizing is my playlist was basically the MTV afternoon music video playlist. <laughs> right? Yeah. As I like literally as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, gosh, this was like this was Carson Daly. And <laughs> as a VJ, you know, as a video video jockey you know, and, and rump shaker and baby got back. <laughs> yeah. So all, of course, so all of that's kind of coming in and I'm trying to figure out what am I gravitating to? So that's definitely a formative time. All those songs, the mid nineties. So, you know, 90, 93, 94, 95, 96, that window into 97. So there's like a, you know, four, four year window that, is like as eclectic as you can get minus a few genres just because i was just trying to figure out what is it what what is my sound 
And at that moment where I landed from eighth grade into ninth grade, where I landed was in like the grunge rock kind of scene. Now at the time through those years, those four years or so, U2 became the constant. So, you know, Octung Baby comes out, spending a lot of time with my brothers, you know, listening to the Joshua Tree and Octung Baby on cassette and just constantly flipping the, the, the tape over, playing board games and things like that. Uh, we played a lot of war strategy board games like Risk and Axis and Allies. And so every time Bullet the Blue Sky came on, we're all like, oh, how fitting. I'm about to bomb you. you know, I'm, about to, I'm about to send my bombers from, you know, from Great Britain over to France. You know, so like, so you 2 became the constant through all of that. And my, my love and appreciation for you 2 as like their own thing, their own like voice in my life. Like the, they were like, you know, the lighthouse in this journey. Well, let's talk about you 2 Yeah. Okay. For you, what was it so appealing about you 2 there was like passion, there was drive. When you're listening to the music, you know that what they're singing about in general, so much of what they sing about is like bigger than them, mm-hmm. right? You know, Bono's known for saying he's, you know, he's a, a small man with big ideas. That was so much of what they did was they, he was, they were always looking up to bigger things, bigger issues, whether it was God or war or racism or apartheid or refugees, you know, there was just, there was so much, there were always like, it was always like a global mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of that, you'd get some songs where in the middle of their global mindset, they have to remember that they're just like that one person and they have their issues. Yeah. And as I'm kind of saying all this, maybe, maybe that was part of it was I found myself in like, like in a new world. And I went from a really small pond to like a much larger lake uh, in terms of the number of people around me. The community was larger. The schools were larger. And so everything was so big, you know, looking how to fit in and looking, you know, where do I belong and who, what's my role? I, I kind of find that in a lot of, of what they, what they sing about. But then of course, not, not just the message of the songs because, you know, at, 12 years old 13 years old listening to like acrobat right i i have no idea you know it it doesn't even it's it's a a song with this this organ and kind of catchy lines and and i would it would replay over and over again i'd even find myself singing it i had no idea what i'm singing about right Mm. but now at 40 years old i connect way different to the song right yeah and so that's one of the things I think I appreciate about you too, is as I've grown, as I've learned, as I've experienced their songs only become that more incredible because what they sing about it at some point in your life, you're going to be faced with something that, that they are singing about. Yeah. And so at the time it was, it was the music of choice. It was the, it was what was, we were playing all the time and whether it was the, the driving guitars or the Larry Mullins um, execution on the drums, whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, of course, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a singer, but I've sung, I've done a lot of singing. We've, we've done some singing of you two together. Yes. Yes. You remember. <laughs> and, and I am more of the first tenor kind of uh, octave. And so, so Bono's voice, of course, for me is very attractive because yeah. it's, 
that's really close to my range, right? So I can belt like every song because it's it's like in my sweet spot. And yeah. so that that always helps. <laughs> I'm trying to think. You've seen them twice, is that correct? I have seen them oh, let me think now, three times. I've okay. seen them three times. Yes. So, first time I was in junior high. Oh uh, I didn't know about that one. Yes. They were so playing the, at Foxborough. Pop Mart. Nice. They were playing there was the Pop Mart tour and they were playing at Foxborough Stadium. And so the way I got to see them was a little um, unusual, uh, maybe not unusual, but so what it is, the concessions for events like that at Foxborough Stadium, different, this is common, where different organizations or unity groups can, yeah. they, they run one of the concessions and they earn profit from the sales, right? Right. So being a part of a youth soccer program, I was on a, a state travel team. We had the opportunity to represent the city at different events at Foxborough Stadium to earn concessions, right? To earn money through the concessions. And so at the, at the beginning of the season, they provide a, a list, like a sign-up sheet for all the events that we will have the opportunity to participate in at Foxborough. So we start looking at the list and it was like, holy crap, the U2 concert is on this list. Mom, sign us up. <laughs> and so the thing about concessions is they all close at a certain point at the night. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even remember who the opening act was. I think I actually had Googled it not too long ago, but I've already forgotten who it was. We had a choice. We could either be at the concession stand and be serving at the counter, or we could walk around with a tray with drinks, cold drinks, oh. hawking drinks, right? So cold soda. So I was like, dude, I'm totally somewhat. My twin brother, I have a twin brother. So he and I both, we grabbed the trays, filled up our drinks, and started walking up the aisles, up and down the aisles, you know, soda here, cold soda here, you know, just hollering it out and people buying soda and then collecting the cash. So right around the time where we're wrapping up our our in the stands soda hawking is right the, at the time when you two were to take the stage. And so I went and returned my tray and just, just stood there in the aisle and watched like almost the whole concert Wow! as a concessions worker <laughs> and my twin brother was down on the ground where like the floor crowd was. And in that tour, Bono would come running in wearing a shirt that had muscles on it. Yeah. Acting like Rocky. Like he actually had like a hood over, over yep. his head and like boxing. And my brother happened to be in the aisle and a security guard comes and pushes him out of the way. And so he steps aside and here comes Bono right by his face, <laughs> right in front of him. And he loses it. And uh, so anyway, so that was a cool experience watching. I got to watch the Pop Mart tour for free. That's awesome. As a middle school soccer concession, concessions guy. So that was my first U2 experience. And then college years, I saw them for the Vertigo tour. Vertigo, yeah. For that one, uh, I bought VIP tickets. I bought four tickets. It was uh, myself and my fiance at the time. Uh, Brooke, and then our mutual friend, TJ Reed. Yeah. Uh, he just, he had just got married to Jess 
So Jess and I, I don't know if you know this, Jess and I actually went to the same youth group together in Massachusetts. And so we knew each other prior to uh, her meeting TJ. We met all in college. She came to the same college as us a couple of years later. Mm. And uh, that's how we, they all met is because we had mutual friends. So their wedding gift was four VIP tickets to the Vertigo tour. So we were six rows from stage and we got Philadelphia, to Philadelphia, right? In Philadelphia. That's correct. Yep. In Philadelphia. That was the night that Bruce Springsteen came out and played. Yeah. With and um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty epic. And then the third time as an anniversary gift for my wife, we drove, we we're here in Florida. So we drove to Tampa for the Joshua tree 30th anniversary yeah. show. And to which when they got to the B sides, in my entire section, I was the only one still standing, still still singing every word to every song. Everyone else was sitting down, and I was just belting it out. And I had no. By the end of the night, I had no voice. Yeah. So. That's yeah. the best. <laughs> <laughs> kind of late middle school into yep. high school. You're evolving your sound again, and you're you're continuing to go more in the rock alternative. There's no longer this pop element that you of things that you're watching on mtv so for example smashing pumpkins rage yes. against the machine stone temple pilots yeah. bush talk about what it was about those artists that made you go diving in for that type of specific genre so it was the the real driving rock sound kind of the the gritty, the muddy, um, you know, like that muddy distortion, um, mm -hmm. you know, come as you are by Nirvana, right? That like almost like underwater <laughs> kind of guitar distortion to machine head, the intensity, I guess it would, intensity would be a word that I started to gravitate toward intense mm -hmm. music, um, hence Rage Against the Machine right like there's yeah. nothing not intense about every one of their songs and again being older now and going back and listening to that again how powerful that music is you know people of the sun at the time i would just spit every word you know right. in sync with zach de la rocha and would headbang it and jump around and in fact i was one year for halloween i was zach de la rocha for halloween and their music was is so powerful and it's so the craft. And so that's one thing I started becoming more attracted to was was the craft of music. As I got less and less as I got rather further from sort of the pop scene, like the music in a can kind of stuff, you know, uh, Enrique Iglesias and <laughs> but more where these artists are like crafting music smashing pumpkins their their music is there's like layer upon layer yeah both in sound in quality the vocals vo too, from vocally uh, lyrically yeah. right it's just so i start paying more attention to well-crafted music you know daughter by pearl jam <laughs> or even though it's more a little more of a, a lighter sound right kind of have almost like that um 
almost like a poppy acoustic guitar. But then you go from that to Jeremy and it's just so intense. Yeah. And so um, I really started to gravitate to like the intensity of the music and what I found in the process. Now, a lot of this early on was influenced by my, my brother, my middle brother. There's a, an alt rock station out of Providence called WBRU, which actually is off the air now. I think they only stream. And wow. so they, they were pushed off the air. But WBRU was like, that was my go-to station. I didn't listen as much to like the classic rock stations or the, but it was that alt rock station that really I started listening to a lot and finding the music that I was really drawn to. And in the process that also led to a friend's group. So you're going from eighth grade into ninth grade into high school. Our high school was fed by like three different, four different middle schools. And so first day of school, I only recognize a quarter of my class. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all these new people. And which in the process led to like a whole new friend group, except for one friend, his name was Jeff. And he was my neighbor. He lived only a few doors down from me. And Jeff and I were like best friends for years. And so we listened to a lot of the same music. He wasn't a huge U2 fan, but a lot of the other alternative stuff, um, like Cake, right? Yeah. <laughs> we would we would drive around. He had, um, uh, when he got his license, he got an old Crown Victoria. And we would drive <laughs> around in this Crown Vic. Uh, and we'd, we'd make mixtapes. And we'd like our, based on what we were doing. So Jeff and I went to quite a few concerts together. And actually, I saw Radiohead with him. Oh. I saw the Cranberries <laughs> with nice. him. Uh, the opening act for the Cranberries, I believe, was Cracker. I, saw, I actually, I also saw Alanis Morissette. Okay. <laughs> and so that was a wild show. Actually, that was the first time that I uh, I smoked weed was at the <laughs> Alanis Morissette concert. <laughs> I was in eighth grade, <laughs> but so. So that's a good segue into the music I was getting into, which was kind of paired with a a friend group, which paired with sort of social behaviors that started down a path for me that was starting to get kind of dark. And so I went from, you know, Rage Against the Machine and Bush and you know, Plush Unplugged, which is one of my favorite, all-time favorite, like, alt-rock songs is Plush Unplugged, uh, the MTV special. Mm -hmm. So I went from that, that started drifting into Marilyn Manson, White Zombie, Nine Inch Nails. And so I started getting into this kind of darker, heavier sort of music. You know, Metallica was there, but I wasn't like a huge Metallica fan. But I would listen to it. But in terms of like music that I was desiring to listen to, I was like, when I get home, I got to scan the radio station till I find that song. Like that sort of feeling was when I was getting into the darker music. And at the same time, I was also starting to get more involved in doing drugs and drinking, drinking alcohol. I wasn't a big beer fan. And so my, my buddy Jeff, his dad had a, a wet bar that we would raid. And so I just went like straight to hard liquor. And so the, my, my choices in, in terms of relationships, you know, I was really getting involved in stuff that I just, 
shouldn't have been doing at 15 years old and theft and all vandalism and drugs. And so I was starting to kind of go down this road that was getting worse and worse, like progressively and right in the middle of that. So fresh toward the end of my freshman year in high school, I suddenly had this encounter at a, a church meeting. So what I didn't say in any of this was I grew up in church my whole life, right? My parents are Christians. And so I grew up going to church meetings and be involved in youth group and stuff, but really was never really that involved in it. As a kid, you know, you do the VBS thing and stuff. As I was kind of going down this road, emotionally, music was having more and more impact on me, relationally, and through the things that I was doing and saying and the attitudes I had. And at that time in my home, there was a lot of tension you know, growing up with my stepdad and so my older brothers, you know, their relationships, every one of us had a different relationship with my stepfather. And so my my one brother that had the most influence on me, he was kind of on his journey, you know, in life. And he was just getting ready to graduate high school and he was going to be leaving for college. And he had a lot of, you know, a lot of things that he was having to work through being of my biological brothers, the middle of us four. And, you know, so issues with other people in the family. And so his, his attitudes and behaviors really impacted how I responded to things. And at the same time, you know, like Nine Inch Nails, like he got me, he's the one that had me, got me listening to Nine Inch Nails. Mm -hmm. And man, I, I really, I really took to Nine Inch Nails, but you know, in, in his music, there is so much anger and pain and rebellion right and right. so that's that's so much of what drove his music was just deliberate life choices that ultimately would lead to lead to like destruction that was sort of if i could encapsulate you know sort of what <laughs> trent Reznor is kind of what a lot of his music is like it's it's humanistic and it's Anyway, so it's it was a catalyst that was leading me down a dark road. So then in my freshman year in high school, you know, I had this experience where my life radically changed. So in the middle of all that, you know, I'm going to like this church event and I'm I'm I, on a bus with a bunch of people and I'm listening to Nine Inch Nails and I'm listening mm -hmm. to Marilyn Manson and White Zombie and I'm listening to um you know a lot I don't know, uh, in like an industrial, I guess, in, industrial yeah, rock, you know, I would say um, so. that's sort of how I, yeah. But even, you know, Marilyn Manson, you know, and, and I would crap, look at Rob Zombie, you know, you know, you, it's all about like, about doing whatever you want. And like, that's kind of a lot of what their stuff is about. And so I'm going, I'm on this church trip with my headphones on and that's what I'm listening to on my headphones. While like everyone else on the bus are like singing church songs, you know, and so I was I was definitely out of my element in that regard. I knew how to blend in because growing up in church my whole life, but I was not on the same page with these people. <laughs> but a result of that trip was a, a radical transformation in my life, uh, an encounter with God that just completely, radically, radically, radically changed me to the point where when I got home from this trip, 
my own girlfriend told me that I I physically looked different. Like my my entire my face was different, my my eyes were different, my uh, my voice was different. I had my my best friend threatening to beat me up, and in the process, I gathered all this music and all this stuff up, minus U two. U two was preserved, but a lot of this other music, I gathered it all up and I made a big pile in my backyard, dumped gasoline on it, and had a little bonfire. And I burnt, I burned everything. And because at that point I said, I, that's not a life I want to live anymore. I don't want to be doing drugs. I don't want to be drinking. I don't want to be, because I, I, I found myself just like in this like depressed place and it was dark and unfulfilling. And I just, I didn't want to go back there. Yeah. As a result, in terms of music, cause I love music. Now I'm like, Oh, so, so what do I do now? <laughs> so that kind of, that launches a whole new chapter in the, the music journey. Yeah, we dive right into a lot of, you know, Christian worship music at that time. Delirious, that is a, another mutual a band that we both like. Yeah, in that time, so I, like you said, I start um, listening to church music and start trying to like, okay, now you know, I'm, I'm a new person now. And like, I was clearly obviously a new person and I had no regrets. I mean, I was, I was over the moon, but there was some like just everyday life stuff that I now had to sort of like rediscover. So what, what's my new sound, you know, if I'm not listening to that anymore, then what, what am I listening to? What is it that I'm, I'm going to enjoy musically? And so, yeah, it was a lot of church music. My mom had a stack of tapes, but I, I didn't really, I mean, I listened to a lot of them, but it wasn't like I listened to it because it's what was available. Not because I was like, oh yeah, this is my jam. It was more like, well, this is what I've got at the moment. But yeah, so Delirious comes on the scene post 1998 missions trip to Peru. There's like this highlight reel VHS tape that gets sent to us from the people that organized the trip. And there's this, the whole video is to this song that I'd never heard before that I instantly loved. And it was a delirious song. It was a history maker by delirious. Mm-hmm. Now thinking back on it, it's like, yeah, we're history makers. We went on a mission trip. Okay. There's a little emotionalism involved in there, but the music itself, as I'm hearing this song, I'm hearing influence from bands that I would listen to. Right. I'm like, I hear you too in this music. So instantly now there's a door beginning to open into a whole nother world of music that I didn't know existed. And it's music by Christians that can actually be really good and enjoyable and that you can rock out to. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but it was kind of a, this journey was just beginning now for me of discovering new music. So of course I'm trying new stuff. Right. So I go to a, I being in New England in the mid nineties, your Christian music selection is very, very limited. I got my hands on Supernatural by DC Talk. I got Audio Adrenaline. Mind you, these are all cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. And I had a Walkman. And I would 
when I like cutting the grass, I'd have my Walkman on cutting the grass, rocking out to like father's house, right? By, <laughs> by audio adrenaline. Third day. So third day just came out with their offerings album. I feel like that'd be the, the Pearl Jam connection for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, I'm, you're sort of finding like substitutes or like, yeah. you're, you're trying to find, it's like, okay, I really love, you know, organic Costa Rican coffee that's like freshly roasted. But if I can't find it, what can I find that to me comes the closest? Yeah. And so that's sort of what was happening with my ears is I was trying to like taste something that resembled what I had been used to in terms of overall quality and intensity, right? Jesus Freak by DC Talk. That mm-hmm. like that was intense at for for that genre, that was a really intense song, and so uh, yeah, that that was kind of the journey, like the song Flood, right? Jars of Clay, Jars of Clay, yeah. So Jars of Clay, so they're like the old school Christian grunge band, I guess you could say, but yeah, so that was sort of that was where I was at there. But a new genre started to come alive to me in that time. Mm-hmm. that was sort of like unexpected you know one night i'm in my bedroom and i decide i'm tired of listening to the same tapes over and over and over again because i only had like six and so uh, i start flipping through the channels and i land on a classical music station yeah and instantly um i think it was um uh, i think it was a tchaikovsky piece and you know, the, the guy talking on the radio after the piece, you know, he's got this really mellow kind of soft voice. You know, that was a piece by Tchaikovsky. <laughs> and I'm like, who? What? Are, you know, next is um, a movement from Vivaldi's, you know, seasons. And I'm like, OK, so now I'm, I find myself into this genre. That I, know, I don't know any of the language. I don't know any of the names. So I'm trying to write down. I'm starting to take notes like the names of composers that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like all everyone knows Beethoven, Mozart, right? But like other names now, you know, Haydn. And I'm like, I don't even know how to spell that. And so I'm starting to listen to this classical music. And I found, so in the evenings, I'd be doing my homework. And when I was done my homework, I would dim the lights. And I had my Christmas lights year round up in my bedroom. I'd dim the lights, put on my Christmas lights light some candles and put on classical music and just sit there in my room. Just, I had these big, big headphones. My dad had these old school, like JVC studio headphones and I would put them on and I would crank up this classical music and just sit in my bedroom and just become like enveloped in this sound. Mm. And now I, so I, I kind of, it's like, this is why these people were considered great, right? Again, I get back to it's the quality, the intensity, the passion, the layers, the depth. And I'm starting to find it now in a genre that I never, ever imagined I'd like. And so that starts to kind of intertwine with sort of the church music stuff and then the classical. And that kind of is what, you know, escorts me into my college years. Right around the time when P.O.D., Southtown launches which was huge which was huge absolutely and i went and saw them in concert i've yeah. seen i've seen pod in concert i think three or four times 
so that was like the next step in like the christian pop rock sort of movement was into a little heavier a little more intense yeah and definitely something you could head headbang to and scream to and shout and jump around and you know outcast right the song outcast or lie down i would play i would play um street hockey and i would my my pump up song was lie down by pod hmm. and because it's just so super intense so i'm starting to find intensity again in areas that I didn't know existed one in classical and one now in this new world of this alternative Christian music. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like POD kind of set the precedent for a lot of like tooth and nail type of bands. Yes. Skillet. That became big. So I mean, we could talk about, you know, even the artists that, you were listening to besides pod like under oath seos and devil wears prada would it be fair to say they kind of like set the the trajectory yeah yeah so they they really set the table because what what pod did because i mean you could turn on like a contemporary hits radio station and hear youth of the nation and then you could turn on your alt rock station and hear southtown or hear boom right yeah. In fact, Boom wasn't that in was it Little Nicky? What was one? There was a movie where Boom was actually on the soundtrack. I don't I want, remember. I want to say for some reason Little Nicky is the first movie that came to mind with Adam <laughs> Sandler, but um, it was something of that nature. So, Pod made alt rock Christian music mainstream. Yeah, they're the ones that really they set the stage for it to become more accepted just in general culturally which so you get to like under oath right yeah and i believe you know yeah under oath probably couldn't do what they did if it wasn't for pod and then like thousand foot crutch right you know we we could say that like bands like creed made it okay for the next generation to sing about god right regardless of where they ended up in their life their music was very obviously spiritual in nature and so to the point where a lot of people didn't really know where they stood are they christian Mm -hmm. are they not they're singing about god they're singing about the faceless man right and so there's a whole world that was starting to kind of genre of music that was the road was being paved by these bands so when you get like switchfoot comes along yeah. Right. So Switchfoot, I mean, Dare You to Move. What movie was that? That was uh, Walk to Remember. Walk to Remember. Right. And so everyone's like, man, that's it was like the song of the soundtrack. And so, you know, John Foreman becomes a sensation who is very clearly Christian. And in fact, he, he breaks away and does like his own solo pieces and stuff. And so. You know, Delirious, I think it's unfortunate. Delirious were kind of like before their time. You know, if, if Delirious were a decade later, I think it might have been even bigger than mm. what it was because of the evolution of the genre and what was becoming more, I guess, acceptable 
but it was because I, I believe that there was a focus on quality that was, you know, the production quality, the, the whole package of what these bands were bringing. It was gaining momentum toward a sort of a mainstream acceptance. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like lyrically not mentioning specific spiritual theological, you know, viewpoints also contributed to some success? Yeah. Yeah. You could argue that uh, sort of the inclusivity of their lyrics singing about having a hard time. You know, we've all had hard times. Right. Yep. And you know, who's the one that we go to when we have a hard time? Well, as a Christian, we would say God or Jesus or our friends in the church, but anyone is looking for someone to go to, right? We all, we're all searching for somebody to love as Freddie Mercury <laughs> would tell us. And so I can't say whether it was good or bad, probably good, but the, the realization that you can be a Christian and sing about other things and that's okay right like i love art i love i i paint and i draw and i do all kinds of stuff and i can do a painting and it not be of the cross right it can be of the you know the carolina chickadee that's in my backyard and it's it's still art and it still glorifies god even though i'm not saying you know i don't have a scripture verse underneath it right literally it says carolina chickadee that's all it says but it doesn't it doesn't diminish the art and it doesn't diminish my faith you know so you you can it's okay to be an artist and and have things you know art that you're creating that is not just very blatantly god 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 mm-hmm. though you could argue that that is, it's all in there anyway, right? We can get in, that's a whole theological thing, right? So we're, we're not going to go down that road, but you know, it, you can talk about having a, a hard time. You can talk about losing a family member because we, we all have at some point, or if you haven't yet, you will. And yeah. so, and I think that that realization was beginning to manifest in Christian music you know, blindside. I saw, I saw, I saw blindside and POD um, in Philadelphia. I actually saw Christian who was the lead singer of blindside. I actually stood in the back of the, the venue and just talked to him. It was before they even signed their record deal with Electro records. And I was, we were just talking about like, you know, Oh, so where are you guys going next? What's it like touring with POD? And, Oh, by the way, here's my ticket. You want to sign it? Oh, yeah, cool. And you like autograph my ticket, you know, and like, you know, me without you. Yeah. Right. So our friend Zach is like a diehard me without you fan. I saw me without you on my college campus. He is the brother. The the lead singer was he his brother had a band also in which he was the drummer for his brother's band. And Me Without You was actually the opening act for this show that we hosted on our college campus. And I bought their first studio album on cassette for $2. I paid in rolls of pennies. I had, I had penny rolls in my college dorm and I cashed in four penny rolls for my first Me Without You album. But that, you know, 
at the time, you know, we're talking about paving the way me without you at that time, most people didn't, they were like, I don't even, is this even Christian? What is this? What is this? I don't, I have no grid for this. How do I process this? So it's kind of an exciting time of discovering new music. What's interesting for your college years too, was it wasn't just the, the screamo type of influence, but you also had influence from jazz and musicals that were really heavy for you. Yeah. Talk, so talk about those. <laughs> so that that was, you know, this, this definitely was a time. So now I'm on my own, right? So I, I leave home, I go off to college, everything I own, I pack into my Ford Escort wagon and I drive six hours South to Pennsylvania, never to move back to New England to, to this day. Not because I don't want to go back. It's just life, you know, journey. So in this time, I'm now discovering this whole new alt-Christian rock world. But also, it's the launch of iTunes. And this is like pre-Facebook era, right? So iTunes comes out. You had to have a, an AOL username in order to create an iTunes account. And <laughs> so um, at the time, our library, so I, I go to our library on campus and they, in, in their music section, they've got all these CDs. And so I, I decide, I don't, I don't even know why this happened. I think it was the music department on campus might have held like a concert, right? And they did some famous jazz songs. It was enjoyable. Like, wow, I really enjoyed that. That was really nice. So I go to the library and I start going through the music selection. And there's a whole section of all of these classic jazz artists you know obviously miles davis john coltrane art blakey you go down the list i get all these cds and i take them to my dorm room and i pop them on my computer one at a time and i start importing them into my itunes library and i'm like man free music this is awesome so that began this time of really beginning to listen to a lot of jazz music and it blew me away. And I fell in love with jazz music at this time. So I've got like U2, you know, alternative Christian rock, and now jazz is on the scene. And I didn't really know a lot of people that I could talk to about jazz music, but there was a guy, I worked in the kitchen at the university. There was one of the managers of the university of the, uh, in the kitchen who actually lived in the city, he didn't go to the school. He, you know, that's where he worked. And he was a jazz musician. And I, I don't remember how it came up, but we start talking and then he starts talking about jazz music. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just getting into this. He says, you're getting into jazz. And that kind of launched this long conversation over like two years with this guy named Mike, who was a jazz musician who started introducing me to like Thelonious Monk. And I was just blown away. And so again, I get back to, you have this craft, like mastery of music and intensity and layers and depth that I'm just like blown away with, like my ears are melting, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've gotten out of classical music and jazz music and this world of alt-Christian rock that I'm now like headed in this direction. And in the middle of all this, we can throw right into the cornucopia of music genres. 
the motion picture production of Phantom of the Opera comes out. And so I take my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I take her on a date to go see Phantom of the Opera in the movie in the movie theater. I had never seen Phantom of the Opera. I only knew a couple of the songs and those are throwbacks to like my fifth grade music teacher who made us sing a couple of them like in music class. Mm-hmm. Music of the night, right? So so I'm in the movie theater and I am just blown away at the music in this movie. And I'm just like I'm so enraptured with like what's happening in the story and the music and the singing and the intensity. And I'm just, I'm blown away. I, I go home. So Josh was the person I knew I could go to because he's always singing. And so I went to Josh. I said, do you have a copy of Phantom of the Opera, the motion picture soundtrack? He says, I just got it. I was like, can I borrow it? I only need like 30 minutes to put it on iTunes. (laughs) And so, and so I got Phantom of the Opera and that launched me into a real appreciation for musicals to date now my favorite is Les Miserables I absolutely love Les Miserables my wife doesn't like it it's too heavy for her uh, in terms of the the content the storyline is really heavy uh, but it's so powerful and the music is just out of this world the singing and then of course you know with uh, Hugh Jackman <laughs> who I already liked because of Wolverine is Jean Valjean in the motion picture production of Les Mis, mm-hmm. who then does The Greatest Showman. Um, is our, our family loves that. So, you know, we've, that's, that's definitely um, a genre. I'm not like, I can't name, you know, 10, 10 that are my favorite, you know, but there's, there's a couple really strong classic musicals that I really, really appreciate. Nice. And um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that all kind of came into the mix in that time with the jazz and the, so yeah so since then there's kind of been a continuance of of the same you know whether it's alternative the jazz the classical anything in that time or current that has really stood out to you yeah so uh once i left college i spent a few years in pennsylvania as a youth pastor at a church working with teenagers and it was a really really great time it was really really challenging but it was a great season of life the youth ministry just it grew like crazy. We had all these skater punk kids come in, loved, loved those kids to death. And they were all into the hardcore, screamo, you know, Devil Wears Prada. That's really when I first really started listening to, to that extent of like, you know, beyond what I knew, you know, going into Under Oath in particular. But Devil Wears Prada, for sure, was further and deeper than I ever thought I would go with that music, you know? And so I, it's almost like I'm starting to come full circle in terms of style of music going back to the, those mid nineties. Now it's like 10 years later and I found my way back into this real intense music with heavy guitars and double bass drum. But in a different place, both myself personally and also the content of the music, right? So ly- lyrically, it's a lot different. You know, what Under Oath is singing about is a little different than what Marilyn Manson is singing about. From there, you know, moving to Detroit, which is where I met you, 
and uh, some of your other guests that have been on the show, Chris Chattery, Zach Platt, Thomas Fogarty, those guys, we kind of, we were all like hanging out with each other and all really like digging this music. And I started even going further into this like alternative, what I would call sort of this like synth alternative music with paper, paper route and siren. Yeah. So it's my, the musical tastes and the variety just kept kind of growing and growing mm -hmm. where I was really learning to appreciate such a variety of music and finding that I'd say most music, most music or most genres, you will find people within that genre that they all have that intensity. They all have the passion. They all have the creativity and the drive and uh, lyrically, you know, they're, they are meaningful and deep vocally complex you know musically crafted at such a high level you'll find that in almost any genre whether it's notorious big or the postal service you find it and where you know kind of blue by miles davis is one of my all-time favorite albums hmm. and i will i'll follow that with you know the four seasons by vivaldi and right after that, I could, I could pop in, ascend the hill, right? And I, I just, I guess that's, that's where I've been on my journey is through the years when wanting to find that level of, of artistry and excellence, like you will find it. And it doesn't mean that every genre is full of that. You, you're going to have the, the garbage. You're going to have the stuff that's shallow or... It sounds like, you know, music in a can kind of stuff. But even, you know, La Vie en Rose by Edith, you know, Piaf, you know, that was a song when I had my coffee shop. So, all right, so I leave Detroit with all of this, like, extensive music stuff just happening in my life. And I'm just all over <laughs> the place. I'm all over the map musically. I get to Pensacola. A few years in, I open a coffee shop. And now I'm playing music all day in the coffee mm -hmm. shop. So I tend to go more into the jazz, you know, French cafe kind of feel. So it's, it is classical and there's jazz, but that's kind of where I sort of landed is, you know, being immersed in the coffee world that I found that that for myself and ambiance and atmosphere and like in the overall sense of where I was and what I was doing that that was kind of like that was my sweet spot musically that's what I was listening to the most but of course all woven through it is YouTube and so that's kind of where we get to like where we are now where I have a family and kids I'm now being the influencer in my home of like what's the music that we listen to as a family yeah Though I can find value in a lot of music, I don't necessarily entertain as many of the bands and varieties as I used to. I found that I've I've narrowed a bit in what I choose most of the time. So anyway, so I'm now being being a father. Um, I I'm thinking that way of I want to be instilling into my kids not just good music, but a love for that which is beautiful and 
complex and hard. You know, classical music is hard. Hard rock is hard, but classical, classical you know, you have an orchestra and all the parts, you know, a, you know, a symphony or even jazz music. Jazz is the ultimate expression of mastery of, a, mm. of the instruments. Yeah. Um, I tell them, you know, I'll put on, you know, an Art Blakey album and I'll say, just listen to this, you know, this, this is like, this is art. This is mastery. This is complex. It's crafted. What's their response or reaction to the things that you put on? In terms of the music I play, I mean, we, it's, it's normal to them. Like it's Saturday afternoon and we're hanging around the house and dad's playing classical music on the record player. Like that's just normal. That's what we do. That's, okay. that's, that's what, that's what it is. You know, yeah. I don't know. It is what it is. So there's, there's been no objection, you know? So. Well, I think if you've established it, you know, for over a decade now, is she 12 now? Allie? Yes. Yeah. She's 12. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah. Then you're not going to have objections. Yeah. So what is it about music that is so appealing to us as humans? Why do we listen to it? I believe we listen to music because we were created in the image of a God who is creative, one who created music. There's something about music that reaches deeper and further than most other forms of art, the emotion, the craft. And I think what it does is it draws us. I think in every one of us, there is um, a part of the creator in us that music is emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical. There's like a holistic element to music that goes beyond most other forms of art. You can stand and look at a painting, you appreciate it or you don't, you get it or you don't. You can hear music, even if you don't understand the words, you may not be able to make out a single word but you can feel the music and it will evoke emotions in you. It could be emotions of hatred or fear or anger or sorrow. Um, or, you know, there's, I love jazz music, but there's some jazz music I listen to. So when Tom Fogarty was on and he started talking about some of his music that he's into, right? Yeah. So I, I, I went and researched it. I'm like, cause some of it I hadn't heard of. So I decided to go listen to some of that music and man, I, I was so frustrated listening to it. (laughs) So Tom, here's my confession, Tom, if you're listening, I, it's just, I just don't, I can't, it's, it's so grating. And, you know, I just, I go back to, is there good art and is there bad art? I would argue, yes, Mm. there is. And it's not about whether people accept the art or not. It's not whether people even like it or not. I think there's something deeper. And, and that all goes back to the, the creator of it all. And I think that is why being made in his image, when we produce this sound, it's, it's something that goes beyond the physical. It goes beyond the everyday and it touches parts of who we are as, as people, as humans, and every aspect of who we are as a person. That's why you can hear a song 
and instantly you have a memory and that memory carries with it smells. Mm -hmm. It's why that happens because it's, it's something that reaches deeper into who we are. Well, Steve, thanks for doing this. Yeah. We finally got it in. Yeah. This has been a long time coming. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.